your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah 11. And yes, we are actually going to cover chapters 11 and 12. A first time here at Calvary Chapel of Running Springs where we're going to do two chapters in one evening. As I shared with you last week, this week is, is much the same for a different reason. And this week's study, Dedication to Purification, the city is finished. We begin to see it be repopulated. And now we bring in those who are going to be involved uh, really in ministry and in worship. And, and I want to remind you that these long lists of names are very effective in identifying historical points. And for the sake of time tonight, we're not going to read them just so I can prove to you how many uh, Hebrew names I can read. You guys don't want to hear me do that anyway. Um, we could do that, but it would. You, by the time I got through about the first half of chapter 11, you'd all be sawn logs. So um, we're going we're gonna to skip the reading of all the names. We're going to highlight a few, though, because there's a couple of very important ones uh, that are listed and smattered in here. And so tonight... Uh, dedication to purification. There's a process that goes on in our lives as we mature in Christ, and we're going to look at that tonight. And part of that process that we know is sanctification and maturation uh, involves us getting getting out of our comfort zone. It involves us getting in, into service for the king. It involves us being involved. And, and so I, I want to ask you a few simple questions. Are you dedicated to worship and to fellowship? Are you dedicated to it? Because sometimes people are dedicated to religion. People are dedicated maybe to a movement. People are dedicated to seeing their friends. But are you dedicated to worship and fellowship? Because as we see this group of people now, and, and remember the context, and I need to share that with you, from the time of the, the original dispersion, when they were taken captive, by the Babylonian Empire, and they went away into captivity until the time that they have now come back has been 150 years. And so they've been without that fellowship. And, and it speaks to me of how we can get dry in our relationship with the Lord when we get out of fellowship. And we don't even remember what it was like to sing praises to the Lord. We don't want to know what it's like to sit there and see some people that you know and have camaraderie with in Christ. And as as we begin this chapter tonight, chapter 11, if you stopped coming to church, would somebody miss you? Would you be missed? You know, sometimes people come to church and it's like, hmm, where did they go? You know, we kind of kind of get the what happened. And so as we grow in Christ and as our lives are transformed into the image of him, amen, because that's as we saw Sunday, we're to mimic Jesus, amen? We're to be looking like, acting like, walking like, talking like, being like, exhibiting his characteristics on a daily basis. And one of the best ways for us to instill that and the best ways for us to encourage that is for us to gather together in fellowship and worship the Lord together. And so we have these two chapters combined together. They are a huge worship service. This is the world's first megachurch gathering, okay? This is, this is where it happened. This is a megachurch gathering. Matter of fact, there are almost 2,000 Levites alone when you look at these lists. So this is a huge worship service. And, and because we spend a lot of precious time worshiping the Lord at Calvary Chapel... 
you're going to see one of the largest worship services with about every instrument known to man at the time in chapter 12. And so we see this beautiful setting and some questions as we begin. Are you volunteering to serve the Lord? Are you a spiritual stone that's vitally important to the wonderful walls of worship? You see, we're spiritual stones, amen? We have been made into spiritual stones. We are stones in the wall of God, in the church of God, in the house of God. We're part of the building of God because we are now the building of God, amen? The church is us. It's not this walled complex. It's us. It's his people. Would your name be found here? You see, a lot of people kind of come and go. And and I make people mad every once in a while, uh, occasionally. I upset a few folks. Well, daily, basically. <laughs> I, occasionally, we'll actually preach God's word. And, you know, people don't necessarily like that. But you know how I can tell the ones that really love the Lord? That's because they take the, the good, fluffy, light, wonderful messages along with the ones that sometimes bring us to that place of understanding maybe I've got some room to grow. And so would your name be found in the list? Because, see, the people that were dedicated to the Lord were found in this group. And the people that wanted to grow in Christ and ultimately be purified and like him, because to be purified, the end result of that is being holy. Amen? It's what happens as you look at the refining process that goes on in our lives. The net result is that we come out as fine gold, is what Scripture says. In other words, we're 24 karat Jesus. Amen? That's the goal, and that's the view that we have from these passages tonight. Would you join me in asking God to bless his word? Father, as we come to you and... Lord, just nestle into your lap and sit down so you can speak to us and turn off the things of the day and the projects and the busyness of our work life. And Lord, the things that have uh, entered our minds, maybe the difficulties with uh, relationship or our children or some end of the year school thing that's going on. God, would you cause us to be still and to know that you are God? Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in chapter 11 of the book of Nehemiah. And now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten into Jerusalem. As I shared with you, if you go to modern Jerusalem and you look at the city of David, which is below the current city walls that were built by the Turks, and you look at that area, just the names in these two chapters no way would fit inside of the city to live. It's a relatively small area. And so there would have been a huge desire. Remember, they've been kicked out of their beloved Jerusalem. There's been no worship on the Temple Mount for nearly a hundred and 50 years. And so from their perspective, these, this casting of lots was just simply a way for there to be a population in Jerusalem from basically everywhere to give everyone an equal chance and, and to give people that sense that, hey, there's somebody in Jerusalem from my city. There's somebody in Jerusalem from my town. There's somebody in Jerusalem from my family, from my tribe. Here's the Benjamites and the Levites and those of the priestly order of Aaron. Uh, You have all these groups of people. And so they begin by saying, you know what? Not everybody can live in Jerusalem. 
So we're going to select some, and we want it to be fair because it's really a privilege to occupy the city of God. Do you consider it a privilege to occupy the city of God? Do you realize who you are in Christ? Do you consider it a privilege to occupy a place in the city of God? To take your spot in the wall. You see, that's why scripture says we are the chosen of God. We are the elect of God. We're the beloved of God. Because it's a privilege. The King of Kings, the Lord of glory, has chosen us to be his beloved. And so this kind of pictures what would happen as the gospel goes forth and people choose this day whom they would serve and and they give their lives to Christ and they're accepted into the beloved. And so he says, nine-tenths were to dwell in the other cities. Now why does it say one-tenth and nine-tenth? We don't really know for sure, but let me give you my take on it. Because ultimately the gospel is going to go forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? So I think what we have here is a picture is let's not all live in the one spot that's going to be the really holy spot. Some of us need to stay and get dirty. You know, a lot of times the church is kind of accused of being a, a, a cultural club, if you will, for Christians. And I think that's sad. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. But we need to be in the world to be in the world. We need to go out and seek and save those who are lost by the power of the Spirit. And if we're not some of us out in the villages, uh, if we're all kind of in the sweet spot, if you will, you know, if all of us move to Costa Mesa, you know, if every last one, we're all going to go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. You know, so some of us here are with squirrels and pine cones. You know, we're up here on the mountain with, with plain folk. We wear T-shirts on Wednesday night. I don't know. You see, the Lord has a purpose for people to be in these different areas. And sometimes we, we lose sight of that. We kind of get hung up on being uh, there, you know, where the big things are going on. And it blessed the people, it blessed all men who were willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. So everybody that got an opportunity to say, yes, I'll choose, was blessed. And the people blessed them. And there are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. The Israelites... So the Israelites, and we need to distinguish here who these were, the Israelites would have been the, t- the ten northern tribes that were wiped out essentially by the Assyrians. And so they've now kind of gathered back together. There's a few of them last, left. And so the Israelites, the priests, so the priestly order of Aaron, the Levites, which would come from them, the Nethanim, the descendants of Solomon's servants, and also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah, and of the children of Bethlehem. And of course, we want to focus in on the children of Judah. Because if Judah is not kept track of, there's one name that's above every name that we would not be able to trace back. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it's extremely important that the lineage of Judah is kept intact. All of the rest of them, one could say, if they had perished and there simply had been a remnant of Judah, at least Jesus could have been born of the tribe of Judah and Scripture would have been fulfilled. So Judah is in the forefront here. 
And I want you to notice how they dedicate this time unto the Lord. You see, the city when they got there was filled with ruin. It was filled with rubble. It was filled with refuse. And it's now going to be filled with people and praise and power. It used to be, and it's rather a picture like what we've been studying in Ephesians. We used to be all of these things that were really rubbish as far as the Lord is concerned. But by his spirit in us and through that relationship with him, we've now become this precious treasure. And so the city is really being filled with the treasure of God, which is the people of God. You guys are God's treasure. This building is not God's treasure. Houses, cars, any nothing on this earth, that's all stuff as far as God's concerned. It can be used for both good and bad, but people are the treasure of God. And so it's really being filled with the real treasure. It wasn't the gold that was in the treasury. It wasn't the gold that would be eventually covering the temple under Herod. It wasn't all of the finery. It was none of that. It was the people. And so walls and cities without people are just walls and cities. For them to be that beautiful building, they need to be the Lord's people. And so... Jerusalem at this time was not some well-groomed, well-manicured piece of land. It is certainly nothing like what you would see today. And so as the Babylonians destroyed it, they destroyed it very, very, very clearly. It was left in a heap of ruin. In fact, back in chapter 7, remember what it said? Uh, that the, After the wall was completed, the city was large, it was spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. And so basically it was just a wall with nothing inside of it. And so as I shared with you, now the people are going to be the important part of this. They'd have to remove the debris. Isn't that like our lives? We have to put off the old man and put on the new. Amen? It's all part of the process. You can kind of see how this leads to a worship service. And so Jerusalem is going to be repopulated. And so the question, are you important to what God's doing? I I believe for many of you, the answer to that is yes. For some of you, maybe the answer is kind of sort. And for some of you, maybe you need to get more involved in what God's doing. Because we all matter to God. Scripture declares that we have been bought and paid for with a price. Amen. What was that price? There's none other than the only begotten Son of God. Amen. So how valuable do you think you are to what God's doing on this planet? If he would relinquish the life of his only son for you, and he would have done it were you the only person on earth, that makes you very, very valuable to the kingdom. The question is, are you going to lay hold of those riches that you have been blessed with in Christ? And so the people begin to fill the city in. And so a tenth were, you know, cast lots for and allowed to come in. However you relate to these verses, there's an interesting word, in it, and it's translated here uh, in a couple of different ways. It can be translated volunteer. Um, but it re- what it really means is, is they were internally moved. That's what's actually being said, to incite from within is what the original Hebrew word meant. It meant that they were so excited from within, they couldn't wait to dwell in the house of the Lord, the city of the Lord. And so for us, it reminds us, hey, you know what? There, there's something awesome about dwelling in the house of the Lord. You know, not everybody in the world is doing what we're doing tonight. There's a lot of people who are, 
Right now their marriage is breaking up. There's a lot of people who are fighting amongst themselves. There, there are people at war. There are people in all shades and manners and styles and kinds of difficulty and trouble. But we have the opportunity because we've chosen to be in the house of the Lord and we have been chosen by the Lord to be in the house of the Lord. We're here. We're in the house of God. But it's a heartfelt thing. And so as you look at these names, you're going to find uh, 1,192 priests. You're going to find another 242 heads of families. You're going to find 128 men who defended the city, who acted as the city's security guards. This is a massive group of people for the time. And those who maintained that beautiful exterior were the Levites who were in charge of the work on the outside of the house of God there in verse 16. So in verse 12, they carried on the work of the temple. In verse 13, the heads of families. In verse 14, brave warriors. And then those who took care of the house of God on the outside. So you can see everybody had a place and everybody had a purpose. Everybody had a place and everybody had a purpose. That's what our goal is, to really find out where my place is in the kingdom, what my purpose is in the kingdom, and then with everything that you have, do it. And for some people, that's using your technical ability. Some people, that's your building skills. For some, it's the gift of hospitality. For some, it's teaching in Sunday school. For some people, you know, you, you enjoy ferreting out computer problems. For me, I just lose more of the six hairs I've got left, you know. You, but you find what God has called you to do, and you do it with everything you've got. And when you do that, you, you have the satisfaction of knowing that he is well-pleased. And that's really what we want to accomplish while we're here on this earth. You're going to get down to a guy in verse 17, and that's Mataniah, who is the leader in the beginning of the thanksgiving and prayer. I love this guy. You know, every, and I want to encourage you, right here, right now, at 6.30, before every midweek service, there is a group that gathers back there in the cry room to pray. It is an unbelievably vital, important factor in ministry. And in fact, I don't believe any ministry goes forward unless there are people earnestly praying. It's the reason I started the Tuesday morning prayer. We need to be people of prayer. How often do we neglect prayer? We work on the outside of God's house. You know what's really crazy? I can almost guarantee you, if I said, hey, we need 50 people to rake pine needles, we'd get 50 people. But if I said we need 50 people to come pray, I'm pretty much guessing we wouldn't get 50 people to come pray. And guess which one of the two of those things, in a kingdom sense, is going to bear more fruit? Good thing to rake pine needles. Don't mistake what I'm saying here. needs to be done. Matter of fact, if you're volunteering, we're taking volunteers. <laughs> but oh, how we need to pray. Amen? Because sometimes we're fighting the battle with the wrong weapons. And we're certainly fighting without the one that's the most important. We haven't even asked God what he wants to do. And so verse 17, we find the leader in the beginning of the thanksgiving at prayer. They had a prayer meeting in Jerusalem, and he was the leader. What a great ministry that is. You know, it's interesting that of his entire life, Charles Spurgeon 
had someone in his church on their knees praying every moment of every service of his entire ministry. Somebody on their knees every moment of every service for his entire ministry. And ultimately, there was a group of men that grew from that that met in the boiler room of the church, and they prayed throughout the service for people to get saved. And in his entire time in the, in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, there was only one service, one service where somebody didn't get saved. Only one. That's the power of prayer. That's what Mathaniah was doing. He's going, man, if we, we build that Lord's house on anything but the things that the Lord wants us to build it on, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It'll just be a pile of rocks. Let's build it on prayer. Alan Redpath ultimately would go from his church in England to pastor the Moody uh, Church in Chicago. Uh, got a prayer request, much like we do here in our tithe box. We have prayer requests that come in all the time, and sometimes they're, they're serious things, sometimes they're less serious things, but they all matter. And Alan got a prayer request, and he actually records this in his book, Victorious Christian Service, which uh, is a tremendous commentary on the book of Nehemiah. But he says he was made aware of a lady who had uh, spent the last four or five years of her life bedridden, and he went to see her. And when he got there, she was obviously very crippled. Her, her hands had, had turned in, her feet really were withered, and she couldn't move at all. She was literally bedridden. And he went to pray for God to relieve her of that. And he got about two words out of his mouth, and what she said was, she said, don't you dare pray that I get well. Don't dare pray. And here's why. He said, for the, these years that I've been confined to this bed, and, and she pulled out from underneath the mattress a prayer list, and it was about an inch thick. She said, I've had the opportunity to specifically pray for hundreds and thousands of people all over the world. And, and so sometimes we look at prayer, and it's like the last thing we want to do. It's the last resort. And I've been guilty of it my time, myself at times. You know, it's just like, Lord, i got to get going. i got to do something. Don't neglect if the Lord calls you to pray. Because I guarantee you there's not a ministry on this earth that goes anywhere unless there are but God's people praying. It will, it will go nowhere. Pastor Chuck tells similar stories about the early days, the founding of Calvary Chapel, of people just gathering together for no other purpose than simply to lift up the ministry in prayer. And to lift up what God wanted to do and to hear from heaven. And so we see that here carried out through these people. Most of the people who were carried away from the city of Jerusalem to the Babylonian captivity were really of two tribes because the Assyrians had taken care of those in the north. And so what was known as Israel is wiped out. So what you really have is Judah and Benjamin in the south. And that's born testament to and you'll notice inst instantly that uh, of this smaller tribe of Benjamin, one of the descendants who's listed here by name is also listed in Matthew chapter 1, a guy whose name is Perez. And guess who he is in the lineage of? None other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so when I say that these lists are important, they are very important because this enables us to run the lineage of Jesus all the way back to David. So he needs to be a descendant 
of the kingly line and he needs to be a descendant of the priestly line. And so because of this one man's name being here in the book of Nehemiah, Uh, we now know that he fulfills that particular call upon his life and what Scripture declares about our Lord. So uh, it's interesting as you look at these names to kind of pick some of them and just do a little study on them. Not all of them you will find anything. Uh, But this new city was a a city of spiritual stones. The people were now gathered together uh, inside the city just ready for what the Lord was going to do. And, you know, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it says that we are living stones. We're built upon a spiritual house. We're a holy priesthood to, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. And, and that's really kind of what's prefigured here in the life of these people. And so when you look at these long lists and you kind of ponder, you know, why did God put that there? It's to remind you that you matter. It's to remind us that we matter. You know, sometimes, and, and I, will, I will tell you, just a little confession time here. You know, to pastor this church and then to go teach at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, uh, it's a little different vibe. There's 27,000 people on Sunday. 27,000, and yes, that's five times the entire population of Running Springs. It's more than the entire population of Crestline and Lake Arrowhead together currently, if you took everybody who actually is there. So, you know, sometimes as a pastor you can go, well, well Lord, we Running Springs. We matter. You matter. This church matters. There are people that are going to be in heaven because of this group right here. And nothing more important. It's not about numbers. It's not about whose name is highest on the list. It's that each one of us matters. And we all have purpose in the kingdom. And as redeemed people, purchased by the atoning sacrifice of the Lamb of God, you matter. Remember that. When Satan tells you you don't matter, he's a liar. He's a thief. He's trying to destroy you. He wants to kill you. His ultimate goal is to crush your bones to dust and make sure that you never are able to get your head up. Don't believe it. Just like these people. Can you imagine if you look at the area of Jerusalem today and you look at some of these cities, you remember Sanballat and Tobiah came from an area roughly 35 miles to the northwest, which would have been up towards heading towards Tel Aviv. And at that time, that, that would have been down through the valley of Elah, where David and Goliath got together. And, and as you go there today, it's still kind of desolate. You can only imagine what it was like, you know, some 2,500 years ago. There was nothing out there. And so here you have Jerusalem, this little city that's kind of on this little hill that's below Mount Scopus and the Mount of Olives. And it's kind of there in the middle of this valley between the Hinnom Valley and and, and the springs of Gihon below it. And, and so if you look at the Kedron Valley, it's kind of, uh, you know, this is as big as the metropolis gets. I mean, do we really count? All these villages you can drive on the highway heading towards the Dead Sea and you still find along the highway, you find Bedouins and camels to this day. Uh, it's not gotten a lot more beautiful. I think it was probably more desolate then because at least now they have piped in water. So so all of these cities, I think it's wonderful that all these people stayed out where they actually lived and people came and occupied uh, the city. 
And so now as we move on to chapter 12, and I want to really focus in here because the heart of the, the message tonight really comes from chapter 12. And so if I can turn this silly thing back on, which is always an interesting thing, you know, don't don't worry about it. It's uh, silent mode. The sound is on. Technology is a wonderful thing, by the way. But as we as we enter into ta- chapter 12, let's take a look. And now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. So now this is looking back a, a considerable amount of time. And I'm hating life right now. I really am. I hate technology. Right, now I know why Pastor Chuck doesn't use it. He's smarter than I am. You know, you just you just kind of look at it and you go, yeah, that's all right. So anyway, we're back up and running. Just thought you should know that. I don't care. I hate you. See how I talk to my technology? should help if you had it right side up, Jeff. It's the glasses. And now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, Yeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah. Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Zachariah, Rechem, Meramoth, Edo, Genothaloi, Abijah, and the rest of them who we will not pronounce. Now, you know why I have not done this. Again, more names for the sake of ancestry, being able to trace those names back. There are a couple of names that are very, very important in here. And one of them that you're going to find in verse 11 and that is Jadua. Jadua is a very, very important guy because historically, um, you you all know of the great Alexander, Alexander the Great. Yes, you've heard of him. I take it, you know, conqueror of the known world at the time under the Greeks. Uh, as he came into Jerusalem, he was going to besiege Jerusalem. He was going to invade it. Uh, and, and the problem is he was going to invade it in about 323 uh, B.C. Uh, remember that this book is said to be uh, 446 B.C. That is a huge discrepancy and would invalidate pretty much everything that's in it if it was true. And so the high priest that was met, and we have this through Greek history, uh, that Alexander met when he went to invade the city was Jadua. The great news is, is that throughout the history, there have been no less than 12 Jaduas, and over half of them have been high priests. And so when the history writers say, well, you know, it couldn't possibly have been because Alexander the Great, uh, some hundred plus years later, bumped into this same guy, that means that Nehemiah didn't write these things when he said he wrote them. So the prophecy of the return to Babylon, consequently Daniel's prophecy would then be false. Consequently, the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem would also be not true and off by a hundred years. The good news is, historically, we now know that there were multiples of them, and they did the same thing then that we do now. Uh, there might be Jeff 1, Jeff 2, Jeff, heavens forbid that, you know, because one of me is more than enough. Or let's just say there was Wally 1 and Wally the second and Wally the third. And so they passed their names along to their children just as we do today. And so there were multiples of them. The historical record is filled with them. And so we now have archaeological evidence 
uh, to back up the fact that at this point in time, there was also a high priest named Jadua. And so you'll find his name there uh, in verse 11. And so uh, you kind of have to be very careful as we move on into the remainder of this chapter. And it's extremely important to do this this way because you can kind of miss the meaning of it. And so I want to pick up a good chunk of this particular remaining chapter, chapter 12 tonight. And I want to pick up from verse 27 and then read uh, down to verse 30 with you. And it says, And now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing and with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Notice what they did. They threw a serious worship service. They went and gathered everything they could find. Now, they did not have Guitar Center at that time. So they didn't get to go down and, you know, crank up the PA. These were all acoustic instruments, but they would go and find literally all that they could. And so, and the sons of the singers gathered them together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephites, and from the house of Gilgal, and to the fields of Geba and Amzavah. And the, the singers had built themselves a village around Jerusalem. So what this tells us, actually, is you kind of have the city of Jerusalem, and then the worship team kind of filled in all the way around it. So this was the world's largest choir at the time. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, the city, and the walls. And so we have a picture here of kind of what's going to happen next uh, as we continue on with chapter 12. As you, as you look at chapter 12, you have the dedication of the wall, you have the preparation for worship, and you have a time of purification in these verses that we just saw. So there are three things that happen. And it's very important because you need to be dedicated to the cause of Christ. Amen? And so does everyone else that's on this planet. And you need to be prepared to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can't do that for you. That's a heart issue with you. That's a heart issue with me. That's a heart issue with us. And and then once you do that, we need to take a time of purification and say, Lord, cleanse me, clean me, make me new. You know, in the New Testament sense, we don't do it the same way. We don't go and wash in a bronze basin and wipe our hands and then turn our hands upward to the sky so that the water with the dirt on it would drip back to our elbows and then to the ground so that we didn't, they would literally let them air dry so you didn't touch the dirty water because to wring your hands would be to put the dirt back on it. You, you see, they went through a ritual of purification. We now have 1 John 1 9. Amen? We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. It's the same process. They, they did it in a different way at that time. And so they were really preparing to worship the Lord. So there's three steps here. They dedicated themselves. They prepared themselves. And they purified themselves. You get the picture? So when we come to church, when we gather together to worship the Lord, I need to come with a dedicated heart saying, God, I want to hear from you. I want to worship you. I've come not to hear Jeff. He's a knucklehead. I've come to hear from you, God. And if you can use him, you sure, as, as I've been told many times, I, God still uses donkeys. It's okay. I like that. I'm glad. I'm happy. You, you see, as we dedicate ourselves, and as, as we then prepare ourselves in worship, now what did they do? 
They put everything they had into worship. You know, as I was sitting listening tonight, you guys were putting everything you had into worship. I mean, there are times that you'd almost, I couldn't almost hear the band because you guys were worshiping the Lord. That's everything. That's giving God what you have. That's not giving God what you don't have. Some people kind of get into that trap of, well, you know, somebody else has got, they have a musical gift or somebody else, you know, they can, they can play some kind of instrument or somebody else, you know, they, they have all kinds of spiritual talents and gifts. I don't have any of those things. There's none of that here. Everybody came as they were and everybody gave what they had. That's so important because your worship to God matters. To God, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. To God, it's a sacrifice of praise that comes from our lips. To God, it's a bowed-down heart that says, Lord, you're supreme in all the universe, and whatever you want from me, that I will give. That's dedication. You see, sometimes we kind of get hung up on the process, and, and we forget that these things are personal. There's something I need to do. Sometimes people will come, well, what do I need to do to do this? You know, what do I need to do to be mature? Uh, You need to pray. You need to hear from the Holy Spirit. You need to read your Bible and then do what it says. It's pretty simple. And so these people had it right. And they assembled all kinds of crazy instruments here. And we're going to see it. Cymbals, harps, and lyres. We've got cymbals. Um, We have harps and lyres. We've got all that up here right now. One of the elements of of worship needs to be celebration. And I think sometimes the church forgets that. You know, we're not just here to sing. Did you know that? We're here to worship. We're not just here to have a concert. We're here to worship. And, And so worshiping the Lord is something that comes out of our heart, and it should be expressed in joy. You know, yeah, there's a time sometimes for that introspection and reflection. But but I want to remember the Lord and what he does in a way that it brings joy into my life. You know what a joyless Christian, I think, is sad. Not just sad personally. I think it's a very poor representation of who God is. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Amen? It's not boring, mundane, and a bummer to be a Christian. It's supposed to be joyous. And so they begin with this gladness. And what it actually says, that thanksgiving, the word is translated, there are hymns of thanksgiving, uh, actually means hymns of gladness or gaiety or pleasure or delight. I mean, they're excited about their relationship with the Lord. Much like the symbols of our day, they have all kinds of different pitches and notes. If you don't believe that, I encourage you, go to Guitar Center, go in the drum room, and look at how many jillions of symbols are in there. And you look at them, because I I frankly didn't really realize exactly how important symbols are. They're every pitch, they're every tone, they have different qualities and characteristics. A little thing there on the ride in the center, that's actually a bell. It has all kinds of stuff on it. You know, to where you can praise the Lord and make a joyful noise. And the same thing we talk about, well, you know, it's just a guitar. No, no, go to the guitar room and see how many different kinds of guitars there are and how they sound differently. I sat with Austin while he was looking for his, his acoustic guitar a couple of years ago. And, you know, he probably played 650,000 guitars. I don't know. It was a lot. 
and going through them and going, oh, that one's deeper. And that was, you know, that's the whole point. And it actually points towards us because we're the worshipers. Amen. I mean, we use instruments, but we're actually the, the beings who worship. And so it kind of pictures us. Maybe you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Okay. But you can still praise the Lord. Maybe you can't sing a lick, but you can still worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe you could never play any. If your life depended on it, you couldn't you couldn't play a, a cymbal. Okay? If we gave you a drumstick and a cymbal and said you need to hit it once, you'd miss it somehow. You can still make a joyful noise unto the Lord because he's looking at your heart. He's looking at what's on the inside. He's not looking at what's on the outside. Saying, is it joy to him? Are you making that statement to him, saying, Lord, you're worthy of this worship. No matter what I can do to prove it, you're still worthy of it. And so for them, it was a time for purification, finally, there in verse 30. So they dedicated the wall. They said, Lord, this is your city. They prepared for worship. They brought the necessary groups of people and all the things in, and then they purified themselves in verse 30. And what that tells me and this is so important. You can't worship God with, with a hypocritical heart. Purification means cleaning, cleansing, washing, getting the gunk off of it. You know, I was cleaning up the, the mountain bikes, kind of getting ready for the for the season coming up. You know, I love to get out and just ride around. And And when I was trying to scrub off last year's gunk off the chain... It was like it was caked on. It was crusty. It was gnarly. It was not good. But Connie's bike's a little newer, and so I was cleaning her chain. I was kind of like, well, it doesn't take much effort to clean her chain. Sometimes we're in that place to where it doesn't take much effort to get cleaned up. Okay, you got a little specks or whatever, and sometimes you got a couple years of crusty junk. You need to get cleaned up. You want to come into the house of the Lord with a clean heart. David said, create in me, O God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit unto me. Why did he say that? Because in order to have fellowship with God the Father, we need to be clean in his presence. Sin separates. It's always separated. It, it gets us out of sync with the spirit and without that, that place that we have that's that holiness of God that's in our lives, purified by the grace of God through the blood of Christ. We're just like that gunky chain, man. We don't go around the sprockets very well. You, you, you won't accomplish much for the kingdom. And so we need that time of purification. It doesn't mean that you spend all day agonizing over everything every day. It simply says, you know what, Lord, I was out in the world today and I got dirty. And I'm going to confess my sin. And you're going to clean me up. You're, if I need a wire brush, you'll do a wire brush. If I need a little soapy water, that'll do. God knows exactly what needs to happen so that we don't come into his presence hypocritically. God doesn't do his work through dirty vessels. And there's a reason for that, because then he would be associated with the dirt. He wants to clean us up. Doesn't mean that we can't be broken, cracked pots. We actually are that. But but not filled with the filth of the world. We need to be cleansed. And in fact, at that time, they would have offered up the sin offering on behalf of the Levites and on behalf of the people. And so they were they were constantly looking, God, would it be okay for me to come into your presence right now? Do you ever ask yourself that question? God, is it okay? Not that for me, 
You know, sometimes I've had people tell me, well, I can't come to church. And I ask, why? Well, you know, I did this or I did that. Do you realize that the cleansing from that is a breath away? That's Lord, forgive me and mean it. And say, God, I blew it today. I don't care if you were drunk this morning. You're welcome in the presence of God by simply asking to be cleansed. Now, you're going to have some things going through your heart, through your mind, that are going to take a while. But don't exclude yourself from worship because you got dirty. Exclude yourself from worship because you're still dirty. We all get dirty. The question is, did you get clean? And so they remind us to to be purified before the Lord. Just say, Lord, I, I need you to clean me up. Saw some things I shouldn't have seen today. Said some things I shouldn't have said today. But I want to be able to worship you. And in order to do that, I want it coming out of a clean vessel because you're worthy. Give it to God. You, you can't fake that, by the way. <laughs> it's interesting because I've tried. I remember in my early walk with the Lord, you know, I figured if I if I got a tight tie on, you know, just kind of cinched it up to where my neck veins were bulging out, that I was probably close to holy. Then I then I thought if I just got a bigger Bible, that that would purify me. You know, if I just if it really hurt to lug it around to where your arm got longer on the one side, that that would do it. And then I thought if I plastered my entire car with bumper stickers, that would surely get me clean before the Lord. And then I really went overboard. I'm going to go to church twice in one week. I'll be clean. It's a hard issue, isn't it? It's a hard issue. That's all it is. It's a hard issue. And if we're willing to confess, He loves to cleanse. He loves to make new. God's in the recycling business, isn't he? Takes garbage and trash and turns it into gold. It's kind of like going over to the can guy across the street. You take in a sack sack of wood ostensibly as trash and they give you money for it. It's kind of like us and Jesus. We take in our garbage, he gives us out gold. It's awesome that he paid the price and then pays us for taking it. Isn't that amazing? Think about it for a second. He pays the price and then pays us for taking it because we have rich dividends in Christ. Amen. When he purifies and cleanses, we walk around with a new joy, a fresh sense of God working in our lives. We have this thing that we could never have any other way. And the Lord's at work in us. And all of a sudden we're going, man, I don't deserve this. I'm rich. That's what the whole first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is about. It's that incredible wealth that we have because of the cross of Christ. You're rich kids. Your dad is a multi-gajillionaire. And he wants to bestow that inheritance upon you. Amen? should give us joy. And it should cause us to get cleaned up when we come to supper. Now, see, I grew up in a day and time. And I, we, I know we're, we've kind of lost this a little bit in our culture. But you came to dinner dressed for dinner. And if you came to dinner not dressed for dinner, um, you didn't eat. You kind of came to the table, and if you came in and you didn't have your shoes, you didn't come barefoot, you never came without it. You didn't even go walk through the house in my house without a shirt on. You came ready to receive. And I think it's kind of a cool picture of the way we we kind of need to see the Lord. I'm not saying you all need to go home and you know put on your Sunday go-to-meetings. 
But what I am saying is with your heart, make sure that's ready to receive. It's like, Lord, I want what you're going to give me. And so we just simply confess those things to him. And notice the the progression here that I put down these last couple of points on here in chapter 12. That profession of faith, that, that repentance and confession leads to possession. In other words, we have to first confess in order to possess. I have to let the Lord know, hey, I was wrong and I got dirty. And so these people did that. They said, you know what? We're dedicating ourselves to you. We want you to purify us. So I'm repenting. I'm confessing. And then I possess that right relationship. That right relationship then turns into these other things, being mature, maturation, and being sanctified or becoming more like Christ, saintly in sanctification. So it's this constant progression that happens as our salvation is being worked out with fear and trembling. When you first come to Christ, let's face it, we're no bargain to Jesus. Amen? You know, we say yes to Jesus. What are we? We're, we're yesterday's old news, okay? We're, 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 we're not worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He makes us worthy because we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so as I profess Him as Lord and Savior, I now have the garment of praise available to me. I'm able to be clothed in righteousness. And what that does is it says, man, I'm a child of the King. I have this incredible new life. My mind is being renewed. I'm being transformed day to day into the image of the Lord Jesus. And then ultimately, what we're going to see here at the end of this particular chapter is now we enter the procession. So we go to from profession to possession to procession. Now we get in the parade. Now we get in the worship service. Now we end up praising God because of the things that he's done in our lives that only he could do. Amen. How many people have stumbled and failed at trying to give up about everything you can think of only to jump right back into it again because the arm of flesh could not sustain them? How many people gave up drugs or how many people gave up alcohol or maybe a relationship or some type of problem in their life only to get right back in the middle of it because they were not first professors? They didn't profess Christ. And they certainly didn't repent and they didn't confess those things to the Lord. How many people never make it to the next step of actually possessing the things for which I have been laid hold for, as Paul said? I've been saved for a purpose. And consequently, they never get to the place that we get to get to as God's kids. We get to join in this procession of praise, praise and worship, and ultimately that leads to our perfection. And as you look at these things, think about that process, because that's really what happens in our lives. We just grow a little bit more into the image of Jesus every day. Amen? That's kind of what goes on. Verse 31, let's pick up here in the end of chapter 12 now. And so I brought forth the leaders of Judah up on the wall, and I'm only going to point out a handful of things in the remaining verses, and appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. Two large Thanksgiving choirs. They could have had, who knows, maybe thousands of people in them. I don't know if you've ever actually had the opportunity to listen to a really good choral gathering. Um, We've got a couple of vocalists in our family that have sung all over the world. And so I kind of have a second cousin. His name is Vince Gill, uh, the country western singer. That's actually a second cousin. So 
we've got a few folks that kind of have that ability in, in my family. And when you look at people like that, when you, when you understand that probably in this group they were appointed to this, it means they probably had some pretty decent voices. And so they put together these two large choirs. They go on and notice it says some priests and their sons with trumpets. And so now they get the, the horn section. So they've got two large choirs and a horn section so far. And then the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And so that would have been the harp, the flute, the lyre, the tambourine, and the drum. So now you've got the makings of almost an entire orchestra. You've got the brass, you've got the woodwinds, you've got the cymbals, and you've got the percussion section along with a huge choir, two of them. And then as they marched around the wall, the other Thanksgiving choir goes one way, and the two Thanksgiving choirs basically come around to the house of God. And so that would be now they're up on the Temple Mount. They're gathered together. So guess where they are? They bring this whole band, the entire string section, the woodwind section, the brass section, the percussion section, section, and two choirs to the house of God. This is a serious worship service. This is some people praising Jesus with everything that they've got. They're saying, Lord, you have been so good to us. You preserved us through this building process. It only took 52 days. We don't even know how you got it done. You brought this great man, Nehemiah, gifted leader into our presence and, and helped us with this process. And notice what happens. These two choirs get together. Half the rulers were with Nehemiah. Ezra's got some guys with him. And it says the singers sang loudly. They sang loudly. They belted it out. They said, God, you alone are worthy of praise. And then verse 45, the singers, the gatekeepers, kept charge of their families and in charge of the purification and the singers and the songs of praise and the thanksgiving to God and on and on the singers and the gatekeepers and everybody got together. You see, when the ushers come in and the sound techs are in here and the worship team's in here and you all are in here, it's the same deal. That dedication to purification brings you into that place of praise. As you say, you know what, Lord, I'm yours, and it's brought great joy into my life. I'm now walking with you, and I want you to know that I am grateful. We're grateful people. That's what brings forth praise. Praise is not because there are words up there on the PowerPoint slide. Praise is not just because there happens to be a a gifted worship team who's playing the song. Praise is you telling God, God, I love you. God, you're worthy of this offering I'm giving to you. God, you alone in the entire universe are the only one to whom I would ever sing like this. They didn't have song scrolls. They had no PowerPoint. They had no PA. All they had was the power of purified people that wanted to praise. That's it. They had the power of purified people who wanted to praise. That's it. And it led them into the presence of the Lord. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I'm going to give you a couple of of slides. Just actually one slide with a bunch of things on it. Some practical applications out of this chapter. Some things for us to think on and glean from it. You know, as you looked at all these names, God remembers your faithfulness to Him. 
God knows what he's doing. God understands exactly who you are, where you are, and what you're doing, and why you're doing it. And God is faithful to that, as Hebrews 6 tells us. As we're going to do here in a moment, let your joy, let that power of praise be heard from afar. You know, every once in a while I get a complaint for these guys back here. It's because we're kind of loud. I'm okay with that. We don't intend to you know, make anybody angry. But if they're a little upset because we're praising Jesus, I'll live with the phone call every once in a while. Amen? Let our praise be heard from afar. That, that that joy that they had, as Proverbs chapter 17 tells us, is good medicine. Sometimes we come in and we're sick, amen? We're kind of filled up with the things of the world. You know, praise is a counter to that. Praise is a counter to sickness. When you praise the Lord, it has the power to heal. It's good medicine. Happiness is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's dependent upon your heart. Because ultimately, there isn't a thing on this earth that can make you happy if you don't have Jesus. I've hung out with some of the wealthiest people this this planet's ever seen, literally. And they're some of the most miserable people I've ever met. Absolutely miserable. They work so hard at hanging on to stuff that they can't keep and won't be able to take with them. Another thing, it's okay to sing it out. If you can't sing, sing anyway. Open your mouth and make a joyful noise unto the Lord because you're not singing for the person sitting next to you. You're not singing to harmonize with the person on the other side of the room. You're not trying to match Terry or Brandon or Austin or Jennifer or Drew in their musical abilities. You're praising the Lord. Have you given God all the keys to your house? Are there any locked closets? Are there any things that need to be done so you can be right before the Lord? Because if there are, give Him the rest of the keys. Give Him the keys to the closet that you locked up that's got bitterness in it. Give Him the keys to that difficult thing that you endured as a child. Give Him the things that you don't want anybody to know you even have. Let him have those keys because he wants to transform your mind. He wants to renew you. He wants you to be that living sacrifice. And then finally, there's no songs of joy in a wayward Christian's life. There's just confession and repentance and, and sorrow. Don't ever settle for staying there. God wants us to be people of praise. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that is a truth. And we shout out your name. Lord, we proclaim you from the rooftops. You are worthy of our praise. Lord, you're the one that we adore. And Father, we thank you for that love relationship that we have by grace and through faith. Cause it to grow. Help us to be pure. Help us to be humble. Help us to walk with you the rest of this week. And 
as we live our lives before men, so let them see those good works that they would glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.